and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David begins a new series entitled, Who? Me? As we take a look at the life of Jonah. Let's listen. Thank you so much, Mackenzie and Jeff. That song really highlights what our theme is going to be today. Thy will be done, meaning God's will be done. Not if it's my will, but really if it is God that's leading, if it's God that wants this for me, then I need to be able to be humble enough to say, okay, God, what you want, that is what is important to me. So that's what we're going to explore today. And I want to start with a story that really was similar uh, to a day like today. And it was a January day. It was several years ago, and it was frigid, kind of like it is outside, although it was in Colorado. So it was negative 17 outside, and I was on the ski slopes. And even though it was really cold, it was a picture-perfect day. I mean, the sun was trying its best, but it was in there, and there's blue skies, Fresh powder was everywhere, and so you could really see it all around you, all the trees and bushes just covered in snow. And now, I don't uh, think of myself as a very good skier, but at that point, I was like, I think I've graduated from the bunny hills. Like, I, I can do the blue runs, the, the mediums, and nothing really more than that. So I think it was on day two, I'm enjoying the blue runs, and I must have been really distracted by how beautiful the scenery was, because I think I took a wrong turn. You see, in the midst of all of those blue runs, there was one black run. I know this now, looking back, when I looked at the map, but I didn't know that then, except as I'm skiing forward, and I see what looks to be a drop-off. Now I know that was called a jump. I, I just call it crazy. But I see this drop-off, and then my heart kind of drops, and I do the best I can to swerve out of the way, and I'm able to not go off the jump and end up in three feet of powder right at the bottom of a tree. It was at that point where I'm feeling pretty embarrassed and totally kind of stuck in the snow that all of these experienced skiers are going after me, and they're just going off that jump, and I'm here sitting here trying to take off my skis and find a way to slide back down. It was a, a pretty embarrassing wrong turn. But it made me think, when's the last time that you took a wrong turn in your life? Now, sometimes that can be as simple as you're trying to go to a new place and, and you're not really paying attention to your GPS and you just take a wrong turn. Other times, it's a little bit more serious than that, isn't it? It's maybe times in your life where you look back and you realize, I'm not where I want to be. I took a wrong turn somewhere. The question that I want to study today is what should we do when we realize that we've taken a wrong turn? How do we get back on track? And to help us understand that, we're going to study the story of Jonah for the next four weeks. We'll roughly be doing one chapter each week. And I know most of us, if we grew up in the church, we know Jonah, or at least we think we do. We remember the story of Jonah from growing up in children's Sunday school. It is a favorite. But I find that when I study this story really intentionally as an adult, my eyes are really opened to the nuance that is right here in the scriptures. Now, Jonah made a wrong turn, and he did it on purpose. Really interesting. Jonah is a prophet, and prophets are those who received a message from God, 
And then it was their job to go share that message, to go proclaim that message to whoever God wanted that message to be proclaimed to. But Jonah is unique. Jonah did something that no other prophet in the Bible ever did before. You see, most of the time, when God would speak to a prophet, and God would say, here's my message that I want you to deliver, the prophet would say something like, okay, here I am. Send me, God. At least that's what Isaiah did. Or sometimes the prophet would say, God, I don't think I'm capable. I don't think I'm the right person, but, but if you are sending me, then I'll go. That's essentially what Jeremiah did. But Jonah is the only prophet on record in the Bible to say no to God. Do you have a stubborn streak in you? If you're not sure, ask your spouse. But if you do, you might be more similar to Jonah than you realize. God says, deliver this message, and Jonah says, absolutely not. Let's read this story together. Now, if you'd like to follow along, um, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you because you won't be seeing the scripture up here. Um, it is Jonah chapter 1 that we will be studying. Um, and if you don't, you can just listen to these words because this is how historically in church, uh, before we had technology, that this Bible study was done, where you would listen and imagine and place yourself in the story. So however you want to hear the scriptures today, I just invite you to put yourself in this story of Jonah. Okay, we're going to begin with the first two verses of Jonah chapter 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. So God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh in scripture right here is called a great city. Uh, that's in Bible terminology, it means a sprawling urban metropolis. This was a massive city. But why is God sending Jonah? Well, did you catch it in the scripture? It was to speak out against the wickedness of Nineveh. Now that caught my attention. And I began to ask, well, what did Nineveh do that was so bad? What was Nineveh truly like? And we're lucky that we have another prophet in the Bible that also spoke out about Nineveh. And this prophet, his name was Nahum, he got more detailed as to what he saw when he looked at Nineveh. And so I'd like to read a, a one verse from Nahum chapter 3, verse 1, that helps us understand what God means when God speaks of the wickedness of Nineveh. Uh, Nahum says, What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies? She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. So what kind of city is Nineveh? Nineveh is a city of murder and lies. It's a very wealthy city that still harshly oppresses much of its people. And a couple of verses later, in Nahum chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruelty? Yes, the people of Nineveh were notoriously cruel. They were brutal, both to their own people and to anyone that they captured 
in war. This is a dangerous place to live and a dangerous place to deliver a message to. It's to that setting that God is sending Jonah. And now the Ninevites, they need to hear this message, don't they? I mean, they need to hear the message of God basically saying, hey, cut it out. Don't be so wicked anymore. But Jonah is looking at that situation, seeing how violent they are, and saying, God, that's not the sort of message that I want to give. He's thinking through self-preservation and doesn't want to put his own life at risk. And so the story continues. This is Jonah chapter 1, verse 3 now. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So to summarize, Jonah did the exact opposite of what God had commanded. Now to illustrate this point, I would have had a map, but I'll have you use your imagination. Basically, Joppa is right here. Nineveh would be about mm, maybe 100 miles this direction. Where he ended up going, Tarshish, was five times that far in the opposite direction. So he very easily could have made the journey up to Nineveh. It wasn't far for him. But Jonah chose to go five times in the opposite direction away from where God was commanding him to go. Now, if you have kids, you realize you're going to be disobeyed occasionally, right? But when your kids decide to do the exact opposite of what you're asking them to do, that's a whole nother level of disobedience, isn't it? Uh, that would be like if I asked my daughter Riley, hey, will you clean up these toys in the playroom? And if she were to just look me in the eye and start dumping out every toy that we had, every container, that would be a whole nother level of disobedience. Well, we are called children of God. Jonah is a child of God, and Jonah is doing the exact opposite of what God is asking him to do. Jonah flees from God's presence. Jonah takes a wrong turn in his life. Okay, let's pause the story for a second and really apply this to ourselves. I want you to ask, how today do you flee from God's presence? Now, obviously, none of us have gotten on a ship and tried to go away from where we think God is. Because we recognize God is everywhere. It's not ever going to work like that. But I think we have other ways that we still flee from God's presence. For instance, some of us, I think, form just enough doubt in our hearts to give us an excuse not to fully follow God. It's like, okay, I can't really know if God exists, and so I'm not going to fully commit. I think that's one way that we can flee from God's presence. Or others flee from God and, and go straight to an addiction or an unhealthy relationship or some type of habit that's never going to fully satisfy. We flee from God and instead leave a God-sized hole within our souls. I think some of us flee from God's presence through busyness. Uh, we overschedule ourselves to the point that we're so 
busy, we simply don't have the mental space to hear from God any longer. The decision to flee from God is rarely made in a day like it was with Jonah. I think for us, it's a thousand small steps in the opposite direction. So our question is, how will God respond to Jonah's fleeing? What does God do next? Well, the author of Jonah has a bit of literary fun describing what God's response is. Uh, Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Uh, Isn't that great? God did not just create a storm. God hurled a storm down on them. I can picture God seeing Jonah in this little boat, think he's running away, and God just going, okay, I've got this storm. I'm ready for it. I'm going to make it here. I'm going to hurl it right at you. You're not getting away from me. And then verses 5 and 6, when the storm occurs, we're told that all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea, to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing, sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps that God will take notice of us so that we do not perish. Okay, these sailors are terrified, which speaks to the intensity of the storm. I mean, it would take quite the storm to rattle seasoned sailors. I would think these sailors would think, I've seen most things. I'm not really intimidated or scared by most weather I see. But now, they're all praying to their separate gods in hopes that one of them might be real and save them from this storm that they find themselves in. And the next verse says, The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. Okay, so the practice of casting lots, that's not something we do today, but it would be taking sticks or stones with certain markings on them, and then you'd throw them onto the ground, and then you'd interpret the way that they landed. Basically, it was a game of chance, and what they're doing is they're trying to find out who to blame. Uh, they've gotten to the point where they realize we may not make it out of this alive. So let's at least find out who to blame, who got us into this mess to begin with. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on who else but Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And for the first time in this story, Jonah speaks. For the very first time, we hear from the prophet himself, because he has not said a word up to this point. And his words now hold weight. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea, the sea that's currently raging, and the dry land. And then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. 
because he had told them so. Okay, hope you caught that. Because what a wild scene is this. Back in verse 3, Jonah went up to them, these sailors, and he basically chartered their ship and said, I need you to take me to Tarshish. Apparently at that time, he told them, it's because I'm fleeing from God. How do you think that conversation went? I mean, I'm just imagining it in my mind of Jonah going up to them saying, yes, please, I'd like to, to buy a ticket to Tarshish. They go, okay, great, why? So, oh, no big reason. I'm just fleeing from God's presence. I also hear Tarshish is nice this time of year. I mean, these sailors did not know what they were getting themselves into. But for the first time, they are now drawing a connection between this savage storm that they find themselves in and the God from whom Jonah is running. The God who Jonah says made the sea and the dry land. These poor sailors, they do not know what they've gotten themselves into, but we're told in the next verse, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? A.K.A., what is our way out of this? How are we going to survive this storm? And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. The sailors have their answer. Throw Jonah into the water. Sacrifice him, and this storm will quiet. You will be saved. This is a pivotal moment, and it shows us two things about Jonah that we need to recognize. The first is that Jonah truly recognizes the power and might of the God that he is fleeing. Uh, This is a God that he knows is responsible for this storm, a God who can create all of the weather. He understands the power. And two, Jonah is willing to sacrifice himself so that the others may live. I would think that a more selfish man might try to keep quiet or, or might just say, no, just keep rowing, keep sailing. We'll eventually make it together. Let's fight through this thing. But Jonah doesn't do that because Jonah understands if this storm is from God, then the only way that this storm is going to be quieted is if Jonah is held responsible for fleeing from God's presence. Now, in an absolute twist, the sailors, they appear to be very good men. They don't want to sacrifice Jonah. I mean, Jonah's, they think, an innocent person. He's also a paying customer. So they don't want to sacrifice him. So they say, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more stormy against them. God is not going to let them out that easily. And then they cried out to the Lord. So notice now, at the beginning of the story, they were all crying out to their individual gods. Now, they're crying out to the Lord, the one true God. And they're saying, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to God 
and made vows. So these sailors, who at the beginning of this story knew nothing about God and all had their separate gods, now at the end of the story are making sacrifices to the one true God. They are making vows of commitment to the one true God. It's amazing to me that God used this storm to bring salvation to an entire ship. Pretty incredible. But what about Jonah? I'm sure that these sailors must believe that Jonah is simply toast now. I mean, they think that Jonah must have drowned because an angry God needed to be appeased. But that's not the God that we worship. That wouldn't be an accurate picture of the God of this story because God is not done with Jonah yet. Here's the very last verse in chapter 1 when we are told, But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So this is how chapter 1 ends of Jonah. Now, we're going to continue Jonah's story next week because Jonah might be the only person on earth who can tell us what it's like to spend three days in the belly of a fish. And so we're going to get an inside scoop there, a little bit of what happened. But for now, here is our key point, I believe, of chapter one. When we flee from God's presence, God has creative ways of getting us back on track. Now, notice I said when, because I believe that we do flee. We try our best to stay with God, to live the faithful life, and yet we are human. And to, hum to be human is to stray. And so when we stray, when we flee, when we turn our backs from God, the question is, well, what's God's response to that? And I really believe God's response is to say, okay, what creative way can I have in this person's life to get them back on track, to turn them back towards me, for them to remember who I am in their life? God did not want Jonah to drown. I mean, quite the opposite. When I read this, I think, okay, Jonah just needed a bit of a time out, right? He needed a, a breather so that he could get his head on straight. And so God provided a fish. That word provided in the scriptures is key to understanding what happened here. That fish is an act of grace that God sent into Jonah's life. God was not trying to, to punish Jonah. God was simply trying to get Jonah's attention. Uh, it, that's what the fish is all about here. That's what the storm is all about here. Because for one moment, Jonah is running in the opposite direction of God, saying, I'm putting my blinders on and I don't want to see what God is doing anymore. And when we can be like that, God needs to do something to say, no, here I am. You're running in the wrong way. You're going in the opposite direction. Here's an opportunity to come back to me. So I would wager that you've never had this creative way of God to get you back on track. There's not been any giant fish in your life that has gotten your attention. But if you were to reflect on this story, I wonder, could you think of some ways that God has gotten your attention in your life? Some ways that God has said, here I am, you've forgotten, 
It's time to come back. Those moments when you can recognize them, I hope you see them as acts of grace in your life. I mean, there are times when we're going one way and God's going the other. And we have an opportunity to say, how do I turn back to God? And that can be challenging at times because in those moments of realization, we sometimes think, well, I've let God down. So does God really want me? But what this story teaches us is that when you make that wrong turn, God is eager to get you back on track. There's this old hymn. You, you may recognize it. It's called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in one of the, the verses, I think it's verse 3, the author proclaims, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I think there's truth in that. I think we are prone to wander. We wander away from God, the God that we love. Our hearts don't always stay intact with where God is. And that was true when this hymn was written in 1757. And it was true thousands of years before then when Jonah, true, was prone to wander. And I think that's true today as well. We all have parts of us that wander from God. We all know people in our lives that we might classify as wanderers who have gone off the path, who are not really near to God anymore. But here's the good news. For you and for them, if you hear nothing else, I think this is the main point of chapter one of Jonah, is that God has creative ways through acts of grace to get us wanderers back on track. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.